In our Bibles tonight to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look a little bit at uh, some of the things that Paul wrote about concerning God's mercy and, and his compassion and also the compassion that we can have towards others. And I don't, I don't think that we can ever... Um, overestimate the ministry of caring and how we can share uh, others' concerns and, and difficulties and we can, we can help them. The Bible tells us that the things that we go through are, uh, have many, many different purposes in our life and one of those is that we can have compassion on other people um, when they're having trouble. And I I, I remember years and years ago, I may have been in Bible college, but I just was when I was reading in Hebrews and, and the verse just leaped out at me that those that God calls to the ministry can have compassion on the ignorant and those that are out of the way because he himself is also compassed about with infirmity. So we can, if we're honest, we, can under, we, can re, we realize that we have many infirmities and we have weaknesses and that's the hymn that we sang does Jesus care? You know, we all have times that one verse means a lot to me. It says, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? We've all fallen into temptation at various times. So anyway, tonight, um, there's three things that we, I'd like, or four things, rather, that I'd like us to look at from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So let's pick it up in verse 3, and we'll read down through verse 11. And then we'll pause for prayer and then get into our study for night. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth, comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, uh, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for this time that we can have in thy word tonight. We pray thy blessing. We, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Paul, as he was led by the Lord, and yet he was very familiar with everything that he wrote tonight, and he um, suffered greatly in his life, and yet it was turned into a ministry so that he could have compassion on others. And we can do the same. And Father, help us tonight as we 
look into the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are looking into the blessed doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Probably could add to that the all-sufficiency of Scripture because every believer, every evangelical believes to a certain extent in the sufficiency of Scripture. And what separates us are those who believe in the total sufficiency that every need that we have in this world, every problem, anything we face, the answer is in the Word of God. And not just an answer, not just an answer in black and white, but a, the, the grace, the power that's necessary to overcome is found in the Word of God. And there's something about this book, and there, there is a power in the Scriptures, of course, put there by God, that it itself, the Bible, has the power to change our lives and to meet our every need spiritually and to equip us for our life. And we have emphasized that. I think this is the fourth message that we've had in this little series. And so I, I hope and pray that as we go through more specific examples, we will see the power of God and we will appropriate it um, as it's necessary in our life. All right. Um, never has the word of God been under such attack as it, in America as it is today. Okay. Uh, somebody put a thing on Facebook the other day, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, but over 20 years ago, when Janet Reno was, a, was the uh, Secretary of State, I think it was, under President Clinton, she was, they asked her about cultists and so on, and she said that somebody is, a, in her opinion, a cult. Cultist is somebody who believes in the authority of the Word of God, who believes that Jesus Christ is coming again, who believes that prayer is important, who believes that going to church is important, who believes that telling others about the gospel is important. She said this, in her mind, labels people as cultists. All right. So that was really a bold statement, something that I don't think any of our leaders had ever met, meant, said up to that point. Well, now we have many leaders who are espousing and who are broadcasting that same godless and, and damaging philosophy. You know, it was Hillary Clinton who called Christians, were a bunch of deplorables. And her, that was what she said. And there's been other worse names have been, have been given uh, to believers down through the years. However, the Bible is still the sword of spirit. And help, may the Lord help us all to be proficient in wielding it in these exciting days when the ministry of God's holy book is so greatly needed. So tonight, I'd like us to continue to look at some things per pertaining to Paul's life and ministry. I trust that we will all find helpful instruction and encouragement that we may increase our fellowship with God and our ministry for him. So this passage starts off with a doxology. Blessed be God. All right? Blessed be God. Um, Paul says that oftentimes in his, in his writing and it blessed is such a, a, a wonderful word, precious word. And it's a word that has a couple major applications depending on who's saying it. When addressed to us from God, it is the idea of favor and dispensing of grace. God will bless. We ask God to bless the ministry of his word. And what, what we mean by that is that God will give power to the minister of his word that it might transform lives. We ask God to bless us. 
We're asking for him to look upon us with favor and supply our needs. When addressed to God from us, it has the idea of praise, magnification, exaltation. And so what, the, what Paul is saying here is glory to God, praise to God, exalt the Lord, right? Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, all the wonderful things that that means. The Father of mercies. That is the idea of the, of the creator of mercy, the one from whom mercies flow, the originator and source of mercies. All right, the word mercies, as it's used here, conveys the idea of compassion, care, help, and so forth, and always implies merciful action. Right? When Jesus was on the earth, people cried to him, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon us. And Jesus say, what do you want? What do you want from me? Well, nothing. I just wanted to have mercy. No, there's always I, the Lord that I might receive my sight or Lord, heal my servant or Lord, heal my son or whatever the case may be. Give me favor. Give me help. Uh, and so the father of mercies, the originator, the God of all comfort. Here is emphasized the power of God to do things that are needed. Comfort here expresses encouragement, consolation, exhortation. It has the idea of cheering on, urging, encouraging, as well as consolation. In fact, this word translated comfort here is a form of the Greek word paraclete, where the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Okay? And so the comforter there it means one who is called alongside to help. And so the God of all comfort is the one who comes alongside to help us, all right? Now, he does that by the, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he does it by angels. Um, often he does it through the Word of God. He's given us this book to guide us, but he often does it by using others to be an encouragement, and that's what we're here for. That's what we're, we're supposed to do. All right, God's comfort enables us to comfort others. Right? Verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Again, the same word comfort. He consoles us. He helps us. He, he urges us. He cheers us on, as it were. Now, why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so one of the ways that we can gauge our spiritual growth is that we have, we have learned through the scriptures, we've learned by, through experience how to advise or counsel or come alongside others. Right? And, um, you know, along that line, you know, the same Apostle Paul who wrote this also wrote those familiar words, there is, there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. And, and I know a lot of people that love that verse of Scripture. And realizing that the word temptation is another one of those words, depending on how it's used and what it's talking about, has two, uh, two very important uh, special application. The devil 
tempts us in order to try to get us to sin. All right? And so God makes a way of escape. Now, again, sometimes that way of escape is another believer who, who comes alongside to help. The word temptation also means testing or trial. And we go through those. And again, sometimes the way of escape is God sending another believer alongside to help. Right? I, will, I think that one, and I, I was um, um, <clears throat> realized that one of the common temptations... Whether God allows it, I mean, he does, but one of the ways the devil tries to get at his, God's people is through doubting, right? And I don't know if, if you've ever gone through doubting of, of your own personal salvation. That's one of the things God, that the devil does. God doesn't deal that way. God doesn't deal in doubts. <laughs> and, but, but the devil does. And, and I've talked to many people <clears throat> over the years who have doubted their salvation. All right? And I, I can relate to that because that's one way the devil can get at me, even to this very day. I, always, I, I will have a feeling of terror that somehow I'm lost and I'm going to go to hell. All right? Now, God, that's not God. That's the devil or my own flesh trying to, you know, trying to get at me. And I remember bringing that up in a Sunday school lesson. And dear old, remember, you remember Isabel Dixon, dear old Isabel, she said, well, pastor, I've always believed if a person doubts their salvation, they're not saved. And I said, wrong answer, dear sister, I'm sorry, but that's not the right answer because many Christians doubt their salvation because the devil tries to get at it, all right, get at us. And so if we've had that, we can we can we can encourage others. We can help others. And, and when people come to me, I've, I've learned that there's a couple questions I ask about. A person comes to me, and they say, "Oh, I'm doubt. I have I'm having these doubts about my salvation." I will ask them this. I'll say, first of all, have you ever was there a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner, and you repented of that, and you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Yes, all right, then I have a couple promises for you. Jesus said, he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And our, our assurance does not come from ourselves, it comes from the word of God, all right? The second question is this, how do you feel when you realize you've sinned? I can, I can remember one person say, oh, I, I, feel, I feel like an inch tall. I feel lower than a snake's belly. I just feel awful. Well, I say congratulations. <laughs> That's evidence that you're saved because if you weren't saved, you wouldn't care when you sin. In fact, if you were not saved, you would delight in your sin. Just another personal example. I was really, I was struck, really having a hard time here a couple of years ago, and, and so... It happened to be the day of the pastor's fellowship. And I said, hey, guys, we always have prayer time. I said, guys, I really I need your prayers. I've been going through this awful time <clears throat> of doubting my salvation. And a pastor came up to me afterwards, and several other pastors, they all came up to me, and, you know, we've, we've, gone, we've gone through the same thing, and here's some scriptures that help me. And one of the men at that fellowship who I thought was, it was one of the godliest men I've ever met, he says, to this day, he goes, I struggle with that same thing. And so that was an encouragement because the devil wants you to think you're the only one that's in this particular 
situation. So there's how we can comfort others. But notice it's important that we learn to comfort ourselves from the Lord directly. David, back in, in the Old Testament, was going through a terrible time. He was being chased by Saul. And one of the things he did, he, he escaped to the Philistines and pretended to be, uh, you know, that he was, he says, I'm done with Israel. They're done with me. I'm done with them. I'm with you now. And so while he was helping the king of the, the Philistines, the Amalekites invaded his little town and they burned it. And they took all the kids, the, the wives, the children, all the stuff. And the people were going to stone him. But the Bible says this, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. See, there was no Samuel around. There was no Jonathan. There was nobody. They were all against him. And so he comforted himself in the Lord his God. Now, do you know how to do that? Can we do that? When, if something happens, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I'm, I'm going to ask a question. When you have problems, is your first impulse to send a message on email or pick up the telephone? Or is your first response to pick up the Bible and, and seek to... Comfort yourself, all right? So, so one of the reasons, again, that God allows us to go through trials is that, first, number one, that we may learn how to comfort ourselves, how to, how to avail ourselves of God's comfort, and then how to help somebody else that's going through um, the same thing. The writer of Ecclesiastes put it this way, two are better than one, right? Two are better than one. But there's times there isn't another one. It's just you or, or me and God, all right? So that's number one, doxology. Number two, there's a declaration, all right? Paul, again, goes to his, goes up to his own experience. He says in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, all right? And Paul suffered. Um, he may have suffered more than any other person other than Jesus, and his, his, his sufferings are documented in the book of Acts and in his other writings. In fact, you know, we're, we're here in 2 Corinthians. If you would go, we won't do it now, but if you would take a look at, at, at uh, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists all the, several of the things he suffered, the trials and the persecution. So he says, As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So there's a, there's a ratio there, all right? There's a proportion, all right? God's grace, God's consolation, God's mercy, God's strength is in proportion to our need. And whether we be afflicted, Paul said, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So Paul says, the afflictions come upon us, God brings them into our lives so we can comfort you. And, or... Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So, in other words, Paul says, look, if we suffer, it's to help you. If we are comforted, if we're encouraged and God helps us, it's also to help you. And he came to realize that. So, if we're, when, we're in the, when we're a Christian, and especially if we have a ministry... We're there to help others, all right? We're not like pastors, missionaries, evangelists, Sunday school teachers, whatever we are. It's, we're not in it for ourselves, and it's not a self-centered type of thing. But God deals with us so that we can deal with others, right? 
And Pastor Griffith is a great example. He's going through all this suffering. He's had so many opportunities already to witness to doctors, nurses, patients, and uh, he, he, can, he can share the word. And his number one prayer request is that he will be faithful. He shared that many times. I want to be faithful to share the gospel. Verse 7, he says, Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. All right, now, and the, the ultimate consolation is being taken home to be with the Lord. All right, that's number two. That's de- his declaration. Number three, his despair. Yes, Paul had times of despair, times of distress. We have those too. And sometimes it looks like the answer isn't coming. How long? The psalmist, how many times? David and others in the psalmist said, Oh, Lord, how long? How long will I pray and, 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 and thou not answer, right? And so he says this, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which, we, which came to us in Asia. And Asia was where a lot of Paul's suffering took place. That we were pressed out of measure. In other words, burdened. More than a person could handle in their, own, in their own strength. Above strength. In other words, Paul said our trials, our sufferings were beyond our limit. We didn't have strength. I think of when Paul was stoned, dragged out of the city, and left for dead. He was a goner, apart from the mercy of God. Right? We despaired. Even of life, Paul says, we, we, were, we were not sure. In fact, it looked like we wouldn't physically survive. Looked like we were going to die, all right? We despaired of life. But here's the deliverance. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We are. We are, as Christians, we're the living dead. We're the walking dead. Again, I don't understand the fascination with those programs, those movies, the zombies and the living dead and all that kind of thing. But anyway, but Paul says in in a very real sense, we have the sentence of death in ourselves for a couple reasons. Number one, just simply because we're human, we're dying. 2 Corinthians 4 Though our outward man perish. Somebody was talking the other day about the Ponce de Leon, the Spanish explorer. He came to Florida. It wasn't called Florida then because he'd heard that there was a fountain of youth. And he looked for it. He never found it. There's no such thing. I I read about these so-called miracle treatments and drugs that will allow you to live 200 years and all that sort of thing. Um, Whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, you go back to Genesis, you think, man, Adam lived 930 years. Methuselah lived 969 years. But you know what? Every one of those, what's the last thing the scripture says about them? And he died. We have the sentence. We're sentenced to death. All right. Now, we are under the curse of death because of our sin. Thank God he takes that away. And Paul's going to talk about that a little bit later on. 
But I, but I think there's a deeper meaning here. Paul wrote this also. He wrote, I am crucified with Christ. That's a death sentence. We were death. We were we died with Christ. All right. Jesus said, "Take up the cross daily. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin." Now that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. So we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Nothing to do about it. That we should not trust in ourselves. And I hear it all the time. Again, I've said it. Believe in yourself. Boy, the person who believes in himself or herself has a, has a poor savior. I'll tell you that, right? So we don't trust ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. In other words, God who has power over death. We don't. Nobody does. He does. All right, now look at this. Who delivered us, verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death. Right? What is that? <clears throat> is that physical death? No. Great, the great death he's talking about here is spiritual and eternal death. So great a death. He's delivered us. So that's true of every saved person. All right? So that's past. Delivered us from so great a death. And you probably re- realize that, that our salvation is in three tenses. In the past, we're saved. We were saved. We have been saved. And that is deliverance from the penalty of sin. Right? Once that happens, our sins can no longer and will no longer be brought up against us by God. Our own conscience, our own conscience, I mean our own flesh, or the devil, especially the devil, he's an expert at digging up our past. And, uh, but God never will. Um, when our sins are gone, and the end of the Bible says now, as believers, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means they're gone. So he has delivered us. We're delivered. But notice what else. And doth deliver. See that in verse 10? That's present tense. God is in the process of delivering us from the power of sin. Right? Paul sinned. Every believer sins. In fact, Paul got so, got so miserable with his sin that he finally said in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. And if he's wretched, where does that leave us? All right? But notice, he is delivering. In the present tense, he does deliver. He's still delivering. In whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's future. Ultimately, he, this, will, this is deliverance from the presence of sin. All right? So in the past, we, we've been saved from the penalty. It's no more there. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. The present, he's delivering us from the power of sin, and we could call that sanctification. In the future, he will deliver us. And and if we die before the rapture, we are delivered. 
from the very presence of sin. And of course, then at the rapture, those who are dead will rise first. Those who are alive will be caught up together to meet the Lord near, and we will forever be saved, delivered from the very presence of sin. We don't, we don't, I don't think, I don't think we can even, I, I try, but I don't think we can even begin to fathom what that means to live a life where sin is absent. It's going to be great. I know that for a fact. All right. All right. Number 11. <clears throat> Ye also helping together by prayer for us. All right. So prayer is, is one way that we can minister. All right. And never apologize. Never, never say, oh, I'm sorry. All I can do is pray. And by the way, don't lie. Don't say, all I can do is pray if there's something else you can do. Don't ever do that. All right? God, God knows better. And I think it was, um, I, remember, I don't remember when it was. Recently, I, I went, we went to that passage in Matthew 10 where the, the Lord said, even if, even if you give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you won't lose your reward. All right? All right, so don't ever just, don't ever say, if you're honest, if it's honest, if there's a situation... Um, and you can't do anything but pray. That's, not, that's nothing to be apologized for because praying is the best thing you can do. But if you can do more, if you can help, in fact, we're supposed to help one another. So ye also helping by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. And so Paul's talk being is thankful for a gift now, he may be referring to a personal gift, or he might be referring to the collection that he was given to take to the saints in Jerusalem. But along with that gift came the prayers, right? Now, that's one of the reasons. I mean, again, we're kind of away from that because we don't have the, have the offering collected. We have the plate back there. And by the way, I, like, I really like it better. I like it that way. Um, I don't think a person who's here for the first time should have an offering plate shoved in their face because they don't even, probably don't even know what it's all about. First time I went to church, I thought they were giving away money, so I tried to take some, but you know what I mean? But I love the way we're doing it now. But anyway, but along with the gift should be prayer that will be used for uh, the glory of God and to accomplish God's work. And everything, and Paul certainly hints at that here, when he begins this passage by saying, blessed be God. All right, everything that happens should be to the glory of God. All right, we glorify God. You know, somebody has said, you know, Jesus is back in heaven. Jesus is not here in the flesh, and so we are His eyes, we are His ears, we are His mouth, we are His hands, we are His feet, and so we are in His stead. All right, and and Paul says that in in several different ways. And one of the ways he says it is in 2 Corinthians, we beseech you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So when we give the gospel, we are speaking on Christ's behalf, right? And Jesus said that we are to be witnesses unto him everywhere, everywhere we are, all right? And so, but prayer, 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 prayer. Paul had a lot to say about prayer, really. And another, another thing, we could take this passage of Scripture... And we could boil it down to one word, and that is fellowship, all right? Fellowship. And one of the precious words in the Christian's vocabulary, in Bible 
vocabulary is the word fellowship. It means to have in common. That's, the word fellowship comes from a Greek word koinonia, which means to have in common. All right? The Greek language, there's high Greek and then there's koine Greek, which is the common language of the people in those days. So to have in common, to share in, to participate with. So Paul, in this passage, deals with the blessed fellowship that we have with God. That includes meditating in God's word, praying to him, praising him, walking with him each day, and communion, and in communion, and service. Part of our fellowship with God includes gaining his help, his comfort, right? Hebrews 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. We may obtain mercy from the God of, from the Father of mercies, and find grace to help in time of need. This fellowship also is called Christian fellowship, which includes our communion with one another worshiping together, praising God together, praying together. By the way, that's one of the thing one of the most one of the reasons why prayer meeting is so important. Praying together. My dear friend Bill Raymond who's with the Lord now gave a message on prayer that I'll never forget and he, he mentioned in the book of Acts that in the book of Acts God's people are always going to prayer, at prayer, or leaving prayer, all right? Prayed together all the time. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, there, there was a time called the hour of prayer. And I was in the afternoon. Our hour of prayer is Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. So important. And I believe that the churches are dying today because of the lack of interest in prayer meetings. Now, I've heard people say, oh, I can pray anywhere. Yes, you can. But, you know, there's a principle in Scripture, God honors time and effort. And when God's people come out for prayer meeting, there's a special blessing. And those are special prayers to God. So praying together. Um, studying God's Word together in Sunday school, morning service, evening service. Um, and together participating in the ministry of our church in this community, all right? And so again, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the ones who are the most faithful, but let's be encouraged. Um, don't let other people's unfaithfulness cause you to become unfaithful. Let's stick with it. And so let's continue um, and let's share God's consolation with those around us. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we could be here tonight and, and be involved in the study of thy word, our Bibles open, looking to the scriptures, and just encourage us, Lord, empower us, help us to realize we're in this together. Think about as Paul, as he thanked the Philippians for their fellowship in the gospel. And I'm thankful, Lord, for, for those of our ministry, of our church here, who are seeking to help, seeking to bring others, uh, seeking to carry on the work and the word of God. Help us, Lord, encourage us, give us that a spiritual shot in the arm that we need to keep on going. And we pray that others will come, others will take advantage of the great opportunities that are here. And so help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, have to have that enthusiasm, to have that zeal 
so that others would know that there's something going on in this place and in our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there is a closing hymn, and it is number 218. 218, so would, let's please turn there in our hymn books. 218, burdens are lifted.
the Lord can do so many. We know there's thousands, probably millions of believers through the world who are in, in special need tonight. And also, Lord, our hearts go out and we don't know what to do. One of these cases where all we can do is pray, and that is for our persecuted brothers and sisters who are suffering so much in Christ. Thank you for the comfort of, of God's word. Thank you for the grace that you give. Please, Lord, watch over us tonight. We thank thee for a great day in the Lord, for the blessings of being able to be in this, in this precious and yes, this sacred building that you have provided.